Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Well, let's turn to John 17. Let's stand and um, I'll read verses 22 through 24. We're getting to the end of this prayer of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you, have loved, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would guide us through this passage, that you would illumine our minds and our hearts to understand it, and to not merely be hearers of your word, but doers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. So somebody tell me what the meaning of the word glory is. It's just a word that we come across all the time in Scripture. We read it from beginning to end, and we can gloss right over it quickly. I see a hand back there. Charlie, what does the word glory mean? Powerful? Kind of? Kind of? Anybody else have any ideas? Seminary students don't get to answer. No, I'm just kidding. Joshua? The radiant beauty of God, that's getting somewhere. I like that. Anybody else? Galilee's got an answer. Glory, what's glory mean? Wait. W-A-I-T, wait. No, I'm just kidding. W-E-I-G-H-T, right? Like heaviness, wait. Right? That's what the Hebrew, what we translate into English that's what it means. It means heaviness. It means weight. Um, but in this prayer, we, we have to come to terms with that word, glory. In this prayer Jesus made to his Father just before he was crucified, he speaks of his glory. And it, it's something that we, in his prayer, it, it's something he wants to share. It's something that we should want to see and to know, his glory. He says that the glory he has was given to him by his father, verse 22. He says he has shared that glory. He's given that glory to his people, um, to the church. Again, that's in verse 22. And he says that he desires his people to see his glory, to see his full glory. So what does it mean when he says and when he uses that word glory? The, The word in Greek, who knows the word in Greek? Come on, man. Come on, Joshua. This is <laughs> It's doxa. Doxa. And is variously translated glory, brightness, honor, majesty. Um, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is... You've had Hebrew. Right? You've had Hebrew a little bit. Does anybody know what the Hebrew word is that's translated glory? 
Renton does. Oh, man. Kabod. Kabod. It is derived from a word that means heavy or weighty, right? So we could say that the glory of God is his heaviness. It's his heaviness. It's his, it's his um, full density, right? It's, it's, it's everything he is sort of trying to be uh, expressed in a word, right? It's his honor. It's his heaviness. It's his fullness. And so I think glory, you can't just... You can't deter, you can't define it with just one word. It, you have to define it with a phrase, and I think it's a way of speaking of all of God's perfections in one word. It's just the summary of all of His goodness and all of His glory, all of His weight, all of His heaviness in one word. The it, the glory of God. To speak of God's glory is to speak of God's perfections in its fullness. Right, that glory that God has is unlike the majesty or the glory of the mountains that we look at. Um, we might say, as we look at the beauty of God's creation, oh, it's glorious, right? We've all done that. We've looked at the stars and said, oh, it's so glorious. And by that expression, we mean it's beautiful, right? It's delightful to look at, it's great. When we speak of God's glory, though, it's more than that. It, it's us acknowledging the sum of his perfections. It is, it is to speak of everything that's good. And every other glory is derivative, right? Every other glory just derives from the one glory that God has in himself. In fact, the glory of God is so glorious, if I can say that, it will shine like a light, in the New Jerusalem. The glory of God shines like a light in the New Jerusalem, and the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it. Right? And, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So Jesus said that when he returns, mankind would see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. See, We will see the Son of Man coming in that glory when he returns. The angels of heaven cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So not only at the end of the ages, but at the fullness of time when Jesus was born, the glory of God is, is the focus, right? The glory of God is the focus. When the Son of God was born, how do the angels announce His coming? How do the angels announce His coming, right? Remember your, your peanuts. What's that? A multitude of the heavenly hosts were praising God and saying... Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Right? That's how, that's how God's presence on earth is announced. There is nothing greater for the angels to sing at this moment than to sing of the glory of God. Right? The fullness of God and all of his power. And so that's the song that they sing. Scripture also says that God... Um, does not willy-nilly, it's my favorite phrase, willy-nilly, just, you know, happenstance, sort of for, for no reason at all. 
Scripture says that God does not willy-nilly give away his glory. He does not willy-nilly give away that glory. In Isaiah we read, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Right? There's no way a graven image can share the glory of God. Right? That's, that's the lie of images. That's the lie of placing objects in worship, right? As they, they do sort of capture our attention, and we think that if we cover something with gold, there might be some sort of glory to it, but it has no glory at all compared to the glory of God. It does not faithfully represent the glory of God in any way. The glory of the Lord is the Lord's indeed. His fullness is His fullness. His perfection is His perfection. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Blessed Trinity, has that glory, that weightiness, that no part of creation shares. It only reflects, but it does not share that glory. He does not share His glory with another. In his book entitled The Glory of Christ, John Owen says... After our utmost and most diligent inquiries, we must say, how little a portion is it of him that we can understand. His glory is incomprehensible and his praises are unutterable. Right? We just, we see as through a glass darkly, right? There's only a, a tiny portion of God's glory that we know and yet, Here's Jesus praying that we might really see it, really know it. He's jealous for those that the Father has given him to see his glory. And so it's a beautiful promise to us, to his people, that we would see the fullness of God. Now that fullness, and I'm just improvising here, but that fullness will be so vastly superior to what we know now that it will occupy our minds eternally. That's how how vastly superior being face-to-face with that glory will be than to what it is now. Though we behold His glory, right? Um, When we are face-to-face and uh, His glory is illumining us, then we will be entranced with his glory for an eternal an eternity of ages. Um, in other words, our puny minds, our finite minds, our created minds can't fathom the whole glory of God. We can't wrap our minds now around the fullness of God's perfections. We, can, we can't fully comprehend his glory, his power, his weightiness. The Apostle Paul in, in his... Um, letter to the Romans puts it this way, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the Glory forever. Amen. And so there's Paul singing of these praises, and then he ends it by just saying, All things to him is all glory forever. So the glory of God is his perfection shining forth as a light. It is his alone, 
It will not be shared with another. It is even incomprehensible in this life. We only have a foretaste of the glory that will be revealed. So what are we to make of Jesus' prayer here in verse 22, where he states that he has shared his glory with believers? What do we make of that? Right? Have we been lifted up into the, the third heaven like the Apostle Paul was and, and seen things that we can't report? No, we haven't. Now, we must assert that we must assert this, too. We're not transformed into gods. He has not made us gods. In our believing, we do not become gods. If he were to give us the glory he has intrinsically, right, his glory that is his by virtue of his being God, then what I read from Isaiah about him not giving his glory to another would be a lie. Right? There's a sense in which, though we become partakers of the divine nature, that's what it says, in 2 Peter 1, we become partakers of the divine nature. Though we have been created in the image of God, and so we, we, we are like God, though we shall be like him in the coming age, we will always, always remain creatures. We will always be creatures, created, having a starting point. Right? There will always be a distance between what we are and what God is. There will always be a glory that he has that we will not. Right? Yes, as we, we reflect that glory, but we will never be equal to God. We will never be equal to God. The Mormons get confused here, don't they? Saying they become God's. And so what they end up doing is denying the unshared glory of God. They think that God's willing to share his glory with everybody, and so they've created a God not of the Bible. In their quest to be gods, they have to un-God God. And put simply, they are heretics who diminish God's glory. They diminish God's glory by, by seemingly amplifying their own. So we still haven't gotten to my question. What, is, what does Jesus mean when he says, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, to believers? It's verse 22. Well, I think we can answer, the answer can be gotten from the next verse, verse 23. Jesus says, I and them and you and me. I and them and you and me. Could it be that the glory Jesus shares... Is not his is is not this ontological glory, the glory that he has by his being vir- by by virtue of his being uh, God, but it is the fact that God comes to live within us when we are born again, right? When we are regenerated, when we are converted, could it be that glory comes and inhabits us, right? During the same night in which. Um, he prayed, prayed this prayer, John 17. Jesus said to the apostles, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and will come to him and make our abode with him. Right? Make our abode with that one. Now, the question is, how does he do that? How does God come to his people and take up residence, make his abode with us. Well, he said it right before that in verses 16 to 18 of chapter 14. He says, I will ask of the Father, 
I will ask of the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever, that is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Could this be the glory that Jesus is saying he shares with his people? Right, God comes to be in his people through the Spirit. Now, doesn't that make sense of those two seemingly contradictory strands that Jesus gives us his glory and yet says he will not share his glory with another? Right, we become holy without becoming gods. We remain creatures, and yet God is within us. Right, his, it, we become Uh, glorious without becoming gods. We are still creatures and God's glory is his alone, but we become creatures in whom the Holy Spirit lives. What holiness we have is from him. What power we have is from him. What anything we have that is virtuous or glorious is from him, the Holy Spirit. Everything good we have is not our own. It's not our own. As the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. What what does it go on to say after that? Not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of, the, of faith. Right, so the glory, the glory that he gives to us is his coming as the Holy Spirit to be with us, to abide with us, to live with us. And of course, this is explicitly stated in... Um, the wonderful chapter of, of the, eighth, um, the eighth chapter of Romans. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Right? So think think about the glory of God Almighty, God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the three in one, living within you, if indeed he lives within you. Do you think that is glory? Do you think that is glory? Do you think that there is heaviness, that there is weightiness, that there is glory that comes when the Holy Spirit, God Almighty, lives within a person? Right? Do you think that would make any difference, that glory coming to indwell a person? Would that make any difference? Would that, would that make any difference in your life? Right? Do you think that you would perceive things differently if the Holy Spirit lived within you? Do you think that you would love differently and serve differently and see differently and understand differently if the Holy Spirit lived within you? Do you think you would pursue different things if the Holy Spirit 
the very glory of God dwelled within you? Do you think peace would rush into your mind and soul if the Holy Spirit lived within you? Do you think your thoughts would dwell on different things if the Holy Spirit lived within you? Do you think you could suffer and not be depressed if the Holy Spirit lived within you? Right? The very glory of God dwelling within us. Jesus departing and going to intercede for us with the Father and sending His Spirit to live within His people. I just read Romans 8, 9 through 11. The next six verses describe the glory that is given to us when the glorious Holy Spirit lives within us. Let me, so let me read those verses. Uh, Romans 8, 12 through 17. Here are the consequences of Christ's sharing glory with us. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. So the glory that is ours when the Holy Spirit, I mean, the glory that we receive in answer to this prayer of Jesus in John 17 is the Spirit living within us. And it means many things to us, the Spirit in us. It means, as the passage has said, we have the glory of no longer having to obey the flesh. You know, to live according to the flesh. We have that glory. The unbeliever who has not the Spirit does not have that freedom hasn't that glory, right? He must obey the flesh, and that is his one master. Second, instead, living by the Spirit, we can put to death the deeds of the body. We can actually put them to get death. We can mortify. Not only can we ignore their power, but we can put them to death. Also, the glory we have is this. We are called sons of God. We are adopted by God. We are adopted into his household. Also, we are no longer slaves of sin. Rather, we are sons of God who can sing praise to God. We can cry out, Abba, Father, and he's pleased to hear that. Right? The Father is pleased to hear his children cry out and call him Father. Also, the glory that we have with the Spirit, the Spirit tells us inside of us that we are children of God. Right? The Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. There is great glory in that, right? That assurance that comes in your faith. The Spirit teaches us about the inheritance we will receive, the same inheritance that our older brother Jesus receives. Right? We receive that inheritance that he received, that resurrection inheritance. We are able to suffer with him just like Jesus so that we may be glorified with him, right? We follow him, he's glorified, and we will be glorified too. 
<clears throat> now, we all struggle with sin. Right? The Spirit dwells within us. The Spirit gives us power. The Spirit helps us, you know, is, is the power by which we can put to death the deeds of the flesh. We cry out, Abba, Father, there's glory within us, and yet we all struggle with sin. Um, that, that we sin does not deny any of the things that I've just said. Right? That we sin does not deny any of the things that we said that I said above. Calvin says of these verses that they prove that the children of God are counted spiritual, not on the ground of a full and complete perfection, but only on account of the newness of life that has begun in them. Right? Newness of life has begun in us. Glory has dwelled within us by the Spirit. And that newness of life has begun. It's not perfection that God gives in regeneration. Right? It's not perfection. <clears throat> we get that at glorification. In other words, being a Christian does not mean instantaneous perfection or even perfection at any time in this life. We're spiritual not because we are instantly perfect. We are spiritual because there is a newness of life that has begun in us. Whereas we once lived to satisfy our desires, we now live with a new power, the power of the Holy Spirit, that can say no to our desires. Whereas once we lived only with, with one master, our sins, our flesh, we now have a new master, the, the Holy Spirit, who kills the old man, who kills sin, who makes us holy, who works the love of God into our hearts, who works holiness into our lives. He opens up our eyes to, to nothing less than the than to be able to perceive the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Master. Right? Think about the last two verses I read from Romans 8. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may be glorified with him. Right, That last phrase, the Spirit dwells within us so that ultimately we may be glorified with Jesus. There's our glory. Again, there is the glory given to us by Jesus Christ. We, like Jesus has had eternally, now have God as our Father rather than as our judge. That's glory. Right? We, like Jesus has had eternally, now have the love of the Father set upon us. That's glory. We, uh, like Jesus has had eternally, now have the inheritance of, of the Father. We, like Jesus has always had, now have a dwelling place in heaven with the Father. And that's glory. We, like Jesus has had eternally, now have glory. Right? Jesus has given to us in time what his Father has given to him eternally, which is glory. And so we will have glory in Jesus Christ by being with Jesus where he is, there to everlastingly worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our glory will be being with Jesus. Right? There to bask in the light of his ontological glory, his, his, un, his, his eternal glory, right? Underived glory that he shares with no other. There to rest in the peace of God's glory, there to behold him no longer as through a mirror dimly, but face to face. So be encouraged by this prayer of Jesus. Rest in it. Father, I desire that they also, 
whom you have given me, and remember that this is prayed for you if you know Jesus. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. That glory will occupy our attention forever. Forever. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he prayed for us. We thank you that he is not selfish. And he, first of all, didn't regard equality with you a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, and he died. And then beyond that, he didn't hold this glory to himself, being unwilling to share it, but he prayed that he, would, he could share his glory so that we might see it. And Father, you have invited us to, to dwell in your presence eternally. Oh Lord, what, what glory. We desire, to, we desire to be there, and yet we know that you've given us work to do here. And so we're always split-minded, but split-minded in a good way. Father, I pray that we would remain faithful, that our hearts would long to be with you in heaven, and that we would also seek to glorify you in all that we do here and now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.